Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 349. Releasing today in the US in select virtual cinemas is Touch, a psychological thriller that tells the story of Faithy, a married Caucasian woman living in China who embarks on an intense affair with a blind massage therapist that turns into a dangerous obsession. Beautifully crafted and performed, Touch is also the only film so far to be made by a Western woman in the People's Republic of China. And I'm happy to say that joining me now is the writer, producer, director, and star of Touch, Alexandra Shepanowska. Alexandra, I thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really interesting just reading up the background about this and also just your background as well. And as a mentioned in my introduction touch is filmed in china you have a long history with the country is the first time you went there is it correct that you were seven years old and since then you've been visiting on and off over the years yes you do your research well (laughs) i was seven years old when i went with my mother for uh her work was actually in japan so we just stopped by china and at that time there were no westerners um visiting it was it was quite different it was very hard to get a um uh, approval to visit and it could only be done through a group and it made a huge impression and then yeah ever since then I I told my mother when I was seven years old that I'm going to live there and I'm going to speak the language and I was even she comments that she's just shocked I kept that sort of in my heart for all those years because then when I was maybe 15 I don't remember now I was still in high school I was 15 they weren't offering Mandarin at that time of course now a lot of high schools are offering Mandarin as an as a alternative language mm. but they were not and not to date myself but we didn't have I don't think we had Google at that time or anything like this so <laughs> so I had to make some calls basically to find a Mandarin teacher and the closest I could find was an hour away um, at, at uh, I was in Maryland at the time at a university in DC. So I was driving from Baltimore to DC. My, okay, so I had my driving license. So I was 16. I just got my driving license. So I was driving mm-hmm. on weekends to see um, my tutor. And then I went when I was in college, uh, I went abroad for a semester. I was studying at Columbia and I studied Mandarin there and I went abroad for a semester. And then I was going every summer and working, uh, interning. And it sort of kept going like this for many years. Touch is your first feature film. You've done shorts beforehand. Um, 
filming in China was always that desire to film in that country, considering the history with it and the very intimate kind of nature you have with that country. I mean, you've learned the language, you've lived there, you have friends there. Was it always in the cards that one day you will film a movie there as well? Yes. When I started, I remember saying to my mentor before we shot our first short film together, I said, one day I'm going to shoot a film in China. He said, good luck. I said, no, I will. I'll do it. And everybody said, don't do it. But I did it. It was always a desire for sure. It was a dream come true, really. It was truly a dream come true. What was the apprehension on the part of your mentor and other people towards you filming there? Um, so, so many things. Um, the first is there's really, uh, there's really no rule of law except for what a particular official deems as rule of law that particular day or that particular hour. Um, so if anything happens, uh, good luck, you can sue. It will take many years um, and then the, the, you might win and the outcome will be, will be nil and there's no way to enforce it. Mm. Um, so uh, it's sort of the wild west of everything. Anything you do there has no, it's extremely dangerous for artists um, where intellectual property can easily be copied or taken away. Um, so this was, the, this was the major apprehension. And then other than that, it's just such a different way of working and thinking and living. Um, uh, what was the movie that just came out about the grandmother who was dying and everybody was keeping it a secret? Um, the Farewell. The Farewell, right. So this is, this is for me an, a perfect example of sort of the culture there, which is um, the antithesis to ours, which is actually lying is a good thing because mm. it saves face and keeps people from embarrassing themselves. Versus for us, it's absolutely a bad thing to do, no matter what. So, um, you know, let's start with that's that for me is actually one of the central problems of communication between Eastern and Western cult uh, between Chinese, particularly, sorry, between Chinese, particularly and Western, is that this notion that by withholding by lying, outright lying, I'm actually doing you, I'm actually respecting you. And if you start with that premise for every interaction, whether it's social or business, uh, it creates huge problems for a Westerner who doesn't. And then you don't know. You don't know when they're lying, or when they're saving face for you. Uh, it creates a lot of problems in, in basic interactions and communication. It, I mentioned in the, about the plot as well in regards to one of the main characters being the blind mistake. That whole part is very interesting as well. There's a long history of actually blind, um, blind people in China, um, in the massage industry. I mean, going back centuries as well. When was the first time you encountered that um, whilst in China? Because this is the first time I've ever heard of it myself. Yeah, I when I was a student, when I was uh, when I was having my uh, year of uh, foreign exchange, when I was um, twenty one or something like this. So. I went to a blind massage parlor and there was, and this was actually the seed for this story. It had a very strange and interesting encounter with a masseur who, a blind masseur who was trying to get as close as possible. So he wasn't, I guess, hundred percent blind, maybe 90% blind. So if he could see super, 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 super close something or other. So he was getting very, very, very close to me to see um, you know, the color of my dress or something like this. And I said, what are you doing? And, you know, he wanted, he wanted to see, he wanted to see me. I was a Westerner. It was very rare at that time. Uh, 
it actually continues to be rare. I, I'm surprised every time I go there, I think it's going to be a huge amount of Westerners and it's not, it's mm. actually not since, since 20 years ago, it's, it's basically the same, if not less then, uh, you know, I expect this to be a huge change and it's, it, it doesn't change for various reasons. Um, partly, you know, the government uh, policies and, and things like this, mm -hmm. quite, quite trying to protect the Chinese um, from sort of a Western onslaught. But um, no, so it was, it was a very, it was a very uh, moving and strange and impactful moment with this blind masseur. Uh, and I loved, I mean, they're fantastic. The, the massage is very, very, very good. And they, they follow a particular technique called Tuinan. Um, and this was, this was the seed of the story, which I tried to write uh, later, uh, but it was very forced and it wasn't a good story. So maybe I tried, tried 10 years ago when I first started making, 12 years ago when I first started making short films. I, I tried to write a storyline and it just, I stopped, it was hopeless. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then what happened was I went back with my family six years ago or so, or five years ago. Now I don't remember, maybe five years ago. And um, they left and I stayed on in China to sort of reconnect with old friends. And I had a very upsetting encounter with a masseur who was not blind, um, who was very aggressive sexually. And I wanted to, and it re-inspired this storyline and I wanted to combine somehow these two experiences, uh, so that that's sort of that's sort of what what happened. But the the blind massage is is a very special thing in China. I'm gonna talk about Carson now, and I just want to put apology out there now in regards to any mispronunciation of names on my part, because my Mandarin isn't something that I'm I'm good at pronouncing whatsoever. Uh, but the character of the mas um, the massage therapist is named um, Bai Yu, um, mm -hmm. played by Jing Wei Yuan. Um, mm -hmm. How did you come about casting him in the role? Do you know of um, actors beforehand, um, before you start production? Is there, is there such a thing to say um, uh, audition rehearsal processes in the Chinese film industry or are, or are actors assigned to you, uh, assigned to your production? How's that all kind of work? Um, it's, it's quite different. Um, so if you've been I wanted very much to audition actors and I was told that they would be offended mm. by being auditioned, especially if they've done any major motion picture or TV show, they would be offended. And I said, well, how do I mean, I can't, I, how do I <laughs> tell them I'm Western, you know, that's always, tell them I'm Western, they won't be offended. I do things differently. So auditioning was, but then again, like, so the, the, okay, the people who found the actors for me, my line producer, um, was very was very connected and has done many 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 feature films. Mm -hmm. So he provided the casting director, and uh, and then I got a very very small pool of actors, which was extremely upsetting because it's a huge country with a lot of actors. Um, and again, not knowing if what I'm being told is the truth or not, um, I. I don't know, maybe they do audition, but maybe this person, this line producer told me that they don't audition because he didn't want me to audition them. Do you see what I mean? So this is how, this is always how it works in China. You do, you're not quite sure what's what. And so, um, you know, later I found out that the, the tie, you know, I was only given such a small pool because there were kickbacks to the line producer and this sort of thing from the actors. So 
so this is there about and this is what the film very much touches on is there are layers and layers and layers in the society and I can I speak the language and I've been going there for many many years since I'm seven years old mm. and yet I still can't grasp what the heck is going on half the time you know what you see is not what's going on so I managed to audition them um, and I was under a huge time pressure because it, I wanted to shoot in the summer and already it was fall and I'd, I had been pre you know preparing and wanting to shoot this film for already three years or so so I and going back and forth was taking a huge toll on me personally um, and physically and uh, I, I, I was sort of at my rope's end so I said fine so I cast actually in a week I cast in less than a week I crewed up in less than a week um, because these were sort of the parameters that were in my line producer was also uh, tapping on his clock that he has another film he wants to make and this is how it has to be done mm. so yeah so it's, it's quite it's quite a different process and they came you know they came to the office there wasn't an audition room um, it was mainly discussion versus here you know in and out when I tried to talk to my, I always like talking to my, I mean, I mean I'm originally an actor, so I like mm. making the process more human, not like a cattle call, right? I like to talk to them and see what kind of person they are because you're going to be spending lots of time with them. And I was always told by casting directors in the US, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen. We have 50 people we're going to see. You can't spend five minutes or 10 minutes talking to each one, seeing how their day was. And it's the, it's the reverse in China or in my particular experience, again, because I don't know what's happening over there really. Um, on a regular basis, which is my experience, was that it was all talk and very little audition. And to get an audition was um, was considered offensive, but I managed to to do it because I, I said I'm not going to hire anyone if I don't see them see them you know act the part. I'd imagine with a lot of filmmakers, um, making a film in a different country comes with its acclimation to the cultural customs, etc. What's really interesting from what I've read in regards to your experience um, in China doing filming touch is all these different kind of surprises kind of pop up in just in the nature of filmmaking itself. For example, handheld camera, which is something that's very important in the telling of your story. Your story is very intimate. You like to get your camera really in there in the expressions of your character's faces, the physicality of the, of the relationship between your characters as well, <clears throat> and the handheld nature of that of that is important however that was really frowned upon wasn't it by by a lot of your uh, producers and other people that you were working with on this movie oh my gosh and oh my gosh i can't even tell you not frowned upon it was basically i was told i was not a professional filmmaker that no films are made handheld that it has to and then later i found out as well you know things happening like the line producer ordered tracks and cranes and all these things and we paid for them but I said, you know, I, I made a shot list. Mm. I, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And there was absolutely no shot that was on a track. It went from more stable to less stable, depending on the equipment we used, but it was all handheld because, you know, you can have, you have handheld equipment, which is uh, more or less stable, depending, you know, on, on what you're, what kinds of rigs you're using. So this is, this is the only, and I went into the minutiae of that with my DP. So it, we all knew how it was going to be shot. But again, because there's a general mistrust of everyone and everything, because again, that's how it works over there. So when I said that, they weren't quite sure if I really meant that. Do you see? So things were ordered and a huge money, a huge amount of money was wasted. 
on things which I knew I was never going to use. And I was told that no film, um, no professional film is shot handheld. But I mean, listen, my, my editor who is Chinese born, uh, my second editor who is Chinese born, but has been working in the US for the past 15 years and, and under the, you know, his, his mentor is quite a prominent editor in Hollywood, also told me that no Oscar nominated films are handheld. So I, said, I don't know where this is coming from. Please go look at the Oscar list there. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, so maybe they're less shaky, but there are absolutely so many films which are handheld, especially, you know, the Oscars are, are you know, sort of, sort of uh, big budget indies, let's say. So they're absolutely handheld. Um, yeah, I got, a lot of, I got a lot of grief for it. And then later what happened was the DP also uh, had a neck, neck injury, but again, I don't know if he really had a neck injury. So let's yeah. say we go with it. He had a neck injury like day three and I had to hire an emergency basis, a uh, camera operator. And he's, he was charged as much as the, his, his fee because it was on a last minute basis was as much as the DP. So on such a film, which is not a big budget, it had the luxury of sitting next to a DP who was overseeing the camera operator. Um, and then I, you know, it was, it was, I got a lot of grief for this as well, that I'm damaging the crew and, um, but I had discussed this beforehand with the DP and if he's not comfortable or if he's not, doesn't feel physically in shape to do it, he needs to communicate that with me. I can't play mother, right? So I expect we're all adults and professionals. And I respect that if somebody says we need an alternate because that's going to hurt me, you know, I would listen to that very carefully and I would get an alternate so they could rotate or, you know, we could figure something out or some shots won't be handheld just to save your, in fact, I just spoke to a very um, successful DP here in America about it. And he said, yeah, you know, DPs will do everything just to please the director and in the end they will hurt their bodies. But, you know, I now, I now have learned from that experience and I will play mother and make sure that nobody's just doing it to say yes. I mean, in China, there's much more of the yes, ma'am, yes, sir mentality than here. But um, now, I, and now I will take great care. But that was a situation where I was sort of upset. Why didn't he work out? You know, he had a three month, he had three month no, uh, two, two month notice. You know, you work out, you stretch, you say you need an alternative, you um, do all sorts of things to prevent this neck injury, which happened on day three. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, and I was also worried because when you do have, you know, the movement is so specific to the operator, I was mm. very worried that there would be some kind of incongruency, but it turned out that the operator, I preferred his movement than the uh, original DP who was, who was operating. So it worked out, it worked out really, really well. Location is very important as well to, do, to this story that you have in, in touch. Um, all the time that you spent there in China, did you ever mark in your in your mind different places that you visited like oh that'll be a good shot for something in the future or that one may be a great place to film a movie did you have things like that or again are things assigned to you where you can and can't film um no no no, no nothing was assigned to me in fact i did yeah, well you're it's actually interesting that you say that because a lot of things were attempted to be assigned to me mm -hmm. you know like here are your actors you're not auditioning them no i will audition them you as a director aren't allowed to have contact with your actors or their information. It goes through the casting director. No, that won't work. I'm going to have contact with them. So a lot of things were presented this way, like you say, assigned, uh, which is not done in the West. And I, I said, no, I'm not going to shoot that way. That's not the way 
I do it. That's not reasonable. Um, there were moments where I did did go the Chinese way because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to. Um, you know, it's obviously not good to 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 push on every. You know, you pick your battles basically. So yes. we did things like shooting for forty days straight without a break. You know, that's the Chinese way. So there were there were things like this which I did do the Chinese way. Um, which where I could sort of tolerate it. Did I want to shoot 40 days as the director, writer, actor, producer without a break? No, um, but everybody was used to that. And they said, people will wander away. People will leave the set, you know, because they think they're not getting paid for those free days. Like it will go bad. It will be, go really bad. So I said, okay, <laughs> we're going to do it that way. So um, the locations where they assigned to me, it was a very funny thing. I wanted to originally shoot in Qingdao, which is um, a German, it used to be a German, uh, a sort of colonized town in, in China on the, on the coast, which is where Qingdao beer comes from. So all those breweries are actually German, which then the Chinese eventually took over. Um, and I really loved Qingdao because it was strange and mysterious. And I did do a lot of location scouting on my own uh, for years before, while I, was, while I had the script in hand, I'd written the script and I hadn't decided on any partner yet. I did a lot of scouting just myself to also enrich the text and the script and the screenplay. And I had never been to Qingdao and I went there specifically to scout for the film. And I absolutely loved it. And it was so perfect and it was mysterious. And it had this mixture because of the German uh, influence. It had this mixture of East and West, which is what I wanted very much for the, for the, uh, for the film. Mm -hmm. And it had these mansions, which are actually quite hard to find in China. Had a couple of these old mansions, which were looked very European, which I thought was very interesting and bizarre. Um, and then um, the line producer said, no, it's going to cost too much to, because everyone's based in Beijing and you have to basically fly or you know, transport everyone. And so I said, okay, well, fine. So where can we go? And then he said, there's this town, which I'd never been to, which is the east of Beijing called Beidaihe. And it's a resort town where actually the government goes all the time for summits and things like this uh, and it's sort of the elites go from from Beijing it's a, this um, beach town which I've never been to never even heard of of all my years in China mm. very strange so it was, it was also had this element they had a Russian element not a German element it had a Russian and it had Russian influence also European also strange mysterious not as beautiful as, as Qingdao in my personal opinion um, and what happened was and this is very much the Chinese way. Nothing is communicated to me. It's just yes. presented as you said to me. So what happened was um, we had a local uh, location guy who wasn't at all a location guy. It was somebody's friend who, you know, uh, in, like in China, you know, Gwen, everyone's heard of the term guanxi, right? Relationships. So somebody scratches your back, you scratch it back and this kind of thing. So for some reason, some guy needed to hire this guy who really was not a location guy at all and it was very frustrating because it was not organized at all we wasted loads of time for me who's hyper organized and efficient it was I was tearing my hair out and we were in a caravan I don't know why you know I, these are the kinds of things where I was like okay I'll go with the flow you know I'm not going to pick this battle but so we were in a caravan of like three four vans with like 10 people each why do all these people need to go location scouting you know um, and then we were going back and forth and wasting a lot of time because we were zigzagging through the map instead of hitting all the places that are near each other first, you know, because calls weren't made beforehand to make sure things were open. You know, you, know, you, you see where I'm going with this. So yes. I, I said, well, 
okay, I'm going with the flow. Hated everything I saw. It was wrong. It looked, it looked like I'm, Pol I'm from Poland. It looked like, you know, like these uh, communist, uh, you know, neighborhoods, suburban communist neighborhoods with these po post-Soviet sort of, uh, uh, these apartment buildings that are just um, without any character. I mean, they have a character of being sort of communist. <laughs> I don't know if I'm describing them well. They're sort of totally without character. There's blocks of apartment buildings that are so depressing looking. Yes. And they have that in China. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm transported back to Poland. So, but this is not going to work for the script. Um, and so we're going around and around in circles. And then we passed by this this I could just see a glimmer of this town this old town I said wait what's that no 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 we're not going there we're not going keep going keep going I said no 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 wait turn around no we're okay we keep going so again we pass by it I see a glimmer of it from another angle I said okay driver you are going right right now well, oh, well there are four other ca cars I don't care you're going right right now they can catch up later we're mm. going into that town so this is kind of how in the end I had to it's not how I like to operate but it was sort of like I was, you know, I, nothing's communicated, nothing's transparent. So in the end, you know, time is being wasted. What do you do? So we go into the town and it's a dream. It's this old town that remind, reminds me very much of Qingdao that has all this flavor and rich characteristic. I said, this is where we're shooting everything, <laughs> everything. And then later I found out why, you know, it could have easily been communicated to me beforehand. But later I found out very, very by chance why they didn't want me to see this place and it's because it's where all the mansions are of literally the premier you know premier she and all these people have homes there mm. and have offices there and what happens is on a daily basis there is so much policing that uh roads literally change directions like one day it's one way going south and the next day it's one way going north without warning or like at 2 p.m it changes you know or suddenly this whole area is blocked off because there's a meeting without warning because it's security, so they can't give warnings. And so they said it will be a nightmare to shoot here because of this situation. And I said, well, everything you showed me doesn't work. And this is exactly what I wanted. Decided the searching doubt, we have to shoot here. Yeah. We'll deal with it, you know, we'll deal with it. And they were like, okay, crazy Western woman. And I said, okay, well, this is what we've got to do. So, you know, the garden I loved, of course, was Premier Xi's garden, he has good taste. So we couldn't shoot there. <laughs> But we eventually found a garden, you know, for the moment she encounters Bayou, we originally in, in, eventually found a place which was really quite perfect. But this was this was sort of the experience from A to Z. And I eventually got, I mean, eventually people got used to me, I guess, and I eventually got used to, to, to them. But this is, it was a little uh, difficult and everything that was presented to me, almost everything I, I reject, you know, I, I bucked kind of the system um, because in the end I was serving the film uh, not uh, what was comfortable to the people around me. You star in the film as well. So while you're dealing with all of these struggles, issues as both producer and director, you have to give performance on film as well. Yeah. Do you take all that stress or the anxiety I imagine that you've gone through with what's happening behind the scenes to the screen as well? Because it is a performance that really demands intensity um and really complex emotion it's a complex emotional performance um do you bring what you're dealing with off screen into your character do you kind of funnel it and put it into a positive kind of experience 
Yeah, I mean, there were moments which were very positive. I don't want to say that everything was so negative, but it was very much an uphill battle, which, you know, isn't always a negative thing. You know, sometimes we all laugh at the end of the day how crazy it all was. It mm. wasn't always super negative. I mean, believe me, it often was, but I, I don't want to say the whole thing was like that. Um, so, but there were a lot of frustration. I say frustrations more than negativity. It was very frustrating. Um, and yeah, of course, I, I think as an all actors are, are, are doing their job if they funnel whatever's happening in their personal life at that particular moment or, um, you know, the prep that which they've done, of course, is, the, is paramount. And then they take whatever's happening uh, at the time. I mean, I prepared so hard and so long for the role that it almost was um, second nature when we were on set. Uh, and when some things happened and there were a couple of moments which were extremely difficult and I couldn't act. I said, okay, we're all taking a break. We're gonna take an hour break, that's it. Um, or I just dealt with them in other ways, but, but there were just a couple of moments like that where it was too much. It was too much was going on that was not, it was, it was hindering for that particular scene that needed to happen uh, it wasn't going to work. I couldn't funnel the frustrations. You know, I needed to be super vulnerable and soft and romantic, you know, and this horrible thing is happening. So no, we're going to, we're going to take a break or this person needs to leave the set right now. Um, that was inappropriate. They need to leave because I, I can't, I can't work. I need to prepare and I can't work with that happening. Hmm. Uh, there were only literally, I think two that I can remember. There were two moments like that where it got, it went too far and I had to take sort of a more extreme measure. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, I think it's mostly preparation. Um, and then it's, it's, it's taking the energy from, from the people around you and what's happening, for sure. When you watch the film now, I mean, when I watched the movie, I was just blown away by it because I just absolutely love the look of it. I love the performances, just everything about it was just oh. so unique. And or it, there's a feeling, really strong feeling of authenticity to it all as well in the emotions and in the relationships as well. When you watch the film, as however, as a filmmaker, as a star, as a producer, do you watch, can you shut away the experiences you had in watching the film? Can you watch it purely as a film or does the experiences of what's happening behind the scenes and the struggles that you have with it, is that really come to the fore first? Because sometimes I'm reminded of filmmakers like, for example, uh, Steven Spielberg always talks about Jaws and he always says, you watch Jaws, you watch the shark movie, and when I watch Jaws, I think about all the great hairs in my head at the end of that kind of, kind of watch you know, movie, you know? Yeah. But you yeah. Still, do you go, do you think the same thing as well? Is it hard to detach the experience away from the watching of a film, especially your own film where you put so much into it and you had to do such an uphill battle? Absolutely. I can't watch it. I mean, my husband actually hasn't seen, I think, even the final, final version. He saw iterations of it. And he's like, let's watch it. And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> can we watch something else? Um, absolutely. I have, I mean, and also, you know, I spent so much time editing it, so much time editing and then re-editing it with another editor. So when I see it, I see what I did wrong and I see what I would have done different. And I also, not only the experiences that we're discussing now, but I also see you know, where I think it falls short. That's, I beat myself up a lot when I, when I watch anything mm. I've ever done. So um, it's very painful to actually watch it. I can't, I can't enjoy it at all. That's absolutely for sure. Well, when I watch it, I, I think I just watch a remarkable film. I really do. And I hope a lot of people out there get their chance to watch it too. It is available 
right now, virtual cinemas across the US. Actually, there's actually a website you can go to, lamey.com, L A E M M I E.com, and they are hosting the film. Um, I really recommend people get on and watch this movie because, as I said before, I love the performances. I love the look of the film, especially the handheld camera. So excellent of you to stick to your guns there and make sure that that was in there because it just adds so much to everything in this movie, I think. It's such an intimate film. I think the way that you capture the characters, especially the intimacy between them all and the in the stakes. I like to say that word, stakes in films. There needs to be stakes, dramatic stakes, etc. And you really feel those stakes in this movie, especially in the relationships. Um, so I just want to say, Alexandra, thank you so much for your time. And look, congratulations on the movie. I do hope one day when you're a little more removed from the experience of making the film, you can watch it and see just what great work you've done here. Um, oh, that means so much to me. Thank you it, so much, Matthew. It's well-deserved. It really is. And I thank you again for your time today. And um, I, I can't wait to see what you do next. Please let me know uh, what's next in Horizon work because I'd love to see what you do for your future works as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you.